This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for January 12th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports for a new year. On today's show, eSports remains a magical place as the CEO of Spinu, sponsor of a League of Legends and StarCraft team in Korea, goes on the run from potential fraud charges. We'll also be talking a little bit about the Dota 2 Shanghai Major Qualifiers, which wrapped up on the 10th. But first, this week marks the start of the 2016 LCS season in League of Legends, and even though it seems like we say this every year, the pro landscape, at least in the West, has undergone some seismic shifts during the offseason. Uh, to help us get back up to speed, we welcome back our friend Taylor Cock. Hi there, how's it going, guys? Not too bad. Taylor, before we even get into the recruitment and trades that took place in the offseason, uh, how has League of Legends itself changed since 2015, and how are the shifts in that sort of metagame uh, going to affect what teams want to do this season? Well, there's been a lot of changes specifically for the AD carry role. Uh, there's a whole slew of new items. Most of the ADC champions have, have been completely reworked into essentially new champions. So we're going to see a lot of a lot of shifts down in the bot lane, uh, specifically with some of those stronger guys, you know, your Lucians, your Graves, uh, even your Quinn to some degree. Uh, so it's going to be a very much AD carry centric meta as far as we can tell so far with some of the few international tournaments that we've had. Sounds like kind of a throwbacky uh, meta, you know, suddenly that the carry is going to be uh, sort of pulling more weight uh, than in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would I would expect to see a lot of uh, resources going towards the AD carry role, specifically, you know, the sort of the double lift style of play where he just gets all the resources and is able to hard carry towards the end of the end of the game. So how does that compare to the, to the previous season? What were we seeing before and how is it going to change compared to this one? Well, it, last season was a little bit more of a mid, a mid laner slash top laner carry meta, depending on which which part of the which part of the season you're talking about. So, it, yeah, it's it's. 80 carries haven't really been strong for a couple seasons, so it's really a huge shift uh, in terms of the way that the game is going to be played. So the other thing that was happening throughout the season is that um, a lot of talent is flowing into North America, but that also means, of course, that a lot of it is flowing out of other regions. That's not so much a problem necessarily uh, for Korea, which always has sort of new talent bubbling up, but uh, certainly I think the case of Fnatic is, is kind of useful and illustrative here. You know, last year they were the top team and, uh, in, in Europe, and almost as soon as the season is over... Uh, three of their players go to North America. And this has sort of been a story that's been repeated, uh, you know, writ large uh, across League of Legends. But I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in in how this affects uh, Europe. Uh, Taylor, when, we, when, when you sort of look at how people have moved around between regions, is EU going to suffer this season compared, compared to last? Well, I think it's going to be really hard to say that EU is not weaker than it was last season. I mean, you... you lost yellow star you've lost huni you've lost a lot of these great players on Fnatic. so it's sort of it's in a really weird transition period where it's going to be a lot of rebuilding for these teams i think the really the only team that doesn't need to rebuild almost fully is going to be origin who just replaced xpeke with uh with power of evil which is a very they're very similar players anyway so it, they're sort of just going to you know probably as far as i can tell probably going to run the table so yeah most of the teams from europe are in the midst of rebuilding, uh, they're going to have to put in a lot of time just on team synergy, a lot of time rebuilding new talent. So it's going to be really a really interesting 
probably weaker split, if not season, for Europe. So when when we talk about these the, these big names coming from the EU over to the North American side, uh, are we talking about players who are in their prime, who are, who are actually like really dominant players right now, or is this more like a like a European soccer situation where once a player <laughs> makes the big name for themselves, like David Beckham, they come over to the North American side and just sort of, sort of do a victory tour and make a ton of money when they're actually happen to be past their prime? I, I actually think it's it is a rare instance in which these teams are leaving in the middle of their prime uh, or these players are leaving in the middle of their prime. I mean, you see yellow star who's been good forever, but he has sort of transcended into a different level of shot calling and team leadership. You've got uh Huni and Rainover also from fanatic coming over who are both players that I'm just going to say that they failed to find success at all in Korea while they were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they moved over to Europe, they became these these really great players. Uh, so and they're coming over and joining Immortals in NA is now. So it's 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 a rare instance of these players coming over uh, in the middle of their prime. And the reason for that, I've actually talked to a lot of players about this, is there is a lot more money in North America. The North American teams just have a lot more money than European teams. Plain and simple. Uh, there's a lot more. There's much more of a spotlight on North America, even in compared to just about any other region. Uh, just you know, based because basically because Riot is in North America, they're they're a North American company, uh, so they put a lot more spotlight on these North American players and creating those personalities. Do you have a sense of the disparity we're talking about uh, between like players in you know near the top in North America versus near the top in, in Europe? Like, do you have any like when you're saying there's a lot more money? Like, are we talking like um, you're you're basically working at half pay if you're playing in Europe? It's hard to say. Uh, I mean, those numbers aren't really out there right. um, necessarily. But it's in North America. It's it's pretty much accepted. I mean, I've, I like I said, I've talked to a few players about this. Uh, and it's pretty much accepted that the sponsorship deals are better here. Uh, the the streaming is better here. There's just more viewers for North American players. Uh, and like I said, yeah, Riot just puts a lot more time in creating North American personalities. Uh, so it, it it's it's really hard to say because I'm fairly certain that the the uh, the salaries are are higher here, but I don't know by how much. But it's it's really mm-hmm. all those incidental things, all those other all those other forms of uh, of income that is really where all the good money comes from. Sure. So I, I, what I find myself wondering is, you know, despite the fact that there's the most money here, North America is still decisively in third place or maybe even fourth place if you if you separate South Korea and China into separate regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're very far behind a lot of the rest of the world in terms of talent and, and skill of these teams. And I'm wondering, like, can this big business North American region be maintained if we're still this, like um, – this second tier region like can we can we have a huge market that isn't the best in the world or will that market break once once that uh once it becomes clear that we're not going to rise up i think that it's it it might um i don't know it, it, with the amount of uh with the amount of effort i mean north america the north american lcs is is sort of undeniably the flagship region the the flagship league for uh league of legends so it, a lot of time and effort goes into the production there and it's the most widely watched region as far as i can tell in terms of pure numbers um so it might just be a popularity thing i mean like if people love the north american players you know they love their double if they love their bjergsen uh they they love these these players and they've been with these players for a long time because you know these are some of the original league of legends players i mean hell even froggen is in north america right now he's one of the you know the true old school league of legends players 
and so it's it's hard to say. I mean, if they can keep their personality driven stuff going, I, I don't foresee the big money leaving, uh, especially because you know North America, North American companies traditionally have been more willing to put money into e- League of Legends esports, not other esports, but League of Legends esports. Uh, you know, you got your Coca Colas in there, uh, your Red Bulls. So, like, I would say that as long as the personality keeps up in North America, I, I don't really foresee it the money going away. Do you think that's that part of the incentives that creates, right? That uh, NA is sort of the region for for more personality driven uh, esports. Do you think that is is part of the reason that NA sort of struggles competitively? That really fundamentally, like this is a region where your your job first and foremost is actually to be, uh, you know, a, a big personality, a, a be part be part of a good show, uh, and your second job is to be a you know, top level pro. Uh, do you feel? Do you feel that is sort of one of the reasons for, uh, you know, let's let's call it uh, North America's underperformance relative to other regions these past few years? I would say that it's definitely a definitely been a hindrance uh, up until now. Uh, like, I, but talking to a lot of these players, uh, I actually wrote an article about this over at Red Bull. Um, ta- talking to these players, most of them are sick and tired of losing. Like they're 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 really really tired of going to going to worlds and just getting stomped on. I mean, they did not a single North American team made it out of groups this year, um, and these are you know these are teams that should have enough talent to make it out of groups. Uh, so I think that a lot of them have taken a step back from the personality driven stuff. I mean, you look at players like like Double Lift, for example, who's still streaming and still doing that stuff, but he's definitely taken much more of a, a veteran uh, ideology. He's saying like. I'm not going to let this stuff distract me. I'm going to I'm going to focus on becoming the best player I can. Bjergsen's the same way. Uh, Froggen has become much more of that sort of player as well. So I I think these guys are they're they're tired of losing, and with all this talent you know coming in and and sort of building up the national talent here, uh, the they're going to really focus on trying to do well at worlds this year uh so we'll i i bet this year will be a big year for north america uh specifically in the in the international scene but obviously it's not just uh you know importing talent that that makes a region better and i am curious when 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 you look at sort of the organizations themselves uh do you see things happening on an organizational level sort of in terms of support staff coaching analysts uh do you see uh investment in that as well uh, in addition to hiring good players do you also see uh i guess what we call front office personnel uh being brought in as well yeah, uh, like TSM is is a good example of this. They they've brought in coaches that are from outside the game. Their uh, their their new coach Casey is he's not a he's not an esports guy. He's a sports guy, uh, and he is much more of a leader in that in that way. Uh, so he they they have him as their head coach as as their main guy that sort of uh, is there for the emotional support and, the, and is therefore obviously he knows the game as well, but perhaps not as well as their strategic analysts and those sorts of guys. So they sort of have this two tier system where the head coach is much more, he's an actual coach. He's a real, uh, instead of just a player turned coach, he's a guy who's got coaching experience. And then they've got the analysts in the background that sort of supplement that. So I think that's sort of the model that 
League of Legends has been following. This model has been used a lot in Korea. Uh, it's been used in China as well. So in North America, it's they've adopted that model. So they're going to really start uh, doing that sort of stuff, which it could it could lead to them uh, having a much more successful season. But then that kind of like raises the question, though, is like, are we just trying to become a Diet Coke version of of Korea, which still probably leads to us getting crushed at Worlds? Andy, North America will always be a Diet Coke version of Korea. <laughs> in all aspects. In all aspects. <laughs> they will, they'll, North America, I don't foresee them catching up. The, 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 the level of talent in Korea is, is just, it's, it's absurd. Like the, the fact that they lost, what was it, like 35 players at the beginning of season four and then still won the world championship and still had two teams in the finals. It's, it's, it's like, excuse me, what, how did that, how is that possible? Uh, it's, it's because their, uh, their culture is just that much stronger than ours. Uh, and their culture is that much stronger than the other regions. We and, should be honored to be their Diet Coke. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I mean, actually we should be, yeah. right? Like, I mean, if, if we turn into Korea light, uh, cause I mean, that, that was in some ways that was almost chi- like China's strategy, mm-hmm. but like, you know, that's still, that still creates a lot more parity than we see now. Right. Like if you get if you can get top North American teams being able to pick off, you know, not quite, you know, top three Korean teams, if that can happen occasionally, the sport is in a fantastic place compared to, you know, uh, where it's been. And and I just just think that's something that maybe sometimes doesn't get appreciated enough in in esports, where if the narrative is always, well, North Americans will always lose. You're never going to be wrong. You know, like you're, you know, you're always going to like. It's an easy way to seem like yeah. you know, sort of smart and like you've got a real insight and predictive power over the game. But it also really sort of, I think, denies a lot of the gains you do see happening, a lot of the exciting stories that that do unfold. And it, and I'm guilty of this too, because uh, I tend to you know write off North America every season, <laughs> like halfway through uh, halfway through the spring. Uh, but it, it does sort of den- deny the fact that uh, you know a region can evolve and level of play uh, improve. Th- there's one last thing I wanted to ask you about Taylor, which is it also kind of seems like in North America you're starting to see more outside investment coming in. You're starting to like, and I'm, and I'm talking specifically about immortals, right? Uh, where, where you're seeing now people with backgrounds in, uh, you know, venture capital with backgrounds in big business with backgrounds in traditional sports uh, management and ownership. Uh, you're starting to see people like that getting interested in esports in league of legends. Uh, and I'm curious whether, you know, is, is immortals kind of a, do you think it's an anomaly or do you think it's a sign of things, things to come? Immortals is a really odd case for me. Uh, it's it's yeah, like you said, it's it's big money. It's a, it's these these are players that you know were either stars on their previous teams or uh, sort of perhaps players that are just just good enough to be considered in sort of like the top tier, like A tier, not quite S tier, but like A tier, um, and. They were sort of bought. I mean, like, if I'm being frank, they 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 were sort of bought. Uh, they they a team threw money at them and they they got these players, which is which is an acceptable way to do things. I mean, look sure. at the, look at the Dodgers. I mean, like, come on. But uh, it's 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 it might be a sign of things to come. I think I think it depends on how well they do and how well these guys 
really establish themselves as personalities within North America. Because I mean, Hooney obviously has a huge brand. He's he's the the most charming dude that's ever lived. He's just adorable. And then <laughs> uh, you got Turtle, who's like a, a known name. Poe Balder, who's a known name, but they're not they're not huge personalities. So I think that it's going to be really interesting to watch them as time goes on to see if they can sort of give back to their, to their sponsors, give back to their owners uh, in terms of, in terms of money made. Like, I mean, they're going to have to really create a, uh, a core personality around themselves uh, for, for the immortal immortals owners in order to, uh, to get their money back. Which is going to be really interesting to watch this season. But if, if they succeed, then absolutely, this could be a new model for the way teams run organizations in League of Legends. But do you think that they actually have any breathing room, though, or do they have to come out in the very first, you know, for the very first season and and probably actually win? Um, because it doesn't feel like the esports community is going to give them a chance to have a building season and then succeed two or three seasons down the road. It feels like they're they're going to get tons of shit if they don't show up right now and start dominating people. Well, I mean, I think I think the spotlight in that regard is almost certainly on TSM. So I think Immortals actually has a uh, has a bit of a chance to sort of sneak in the back door a little bit uh, and and rebuild while everyone's staring at TSM with their completely absurd roster. Uh, and see 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 if they can sort of rebuild while everyone's focusing on TSM probably flopping. I'm calling it right now. TSM is going to flop for a few weeks. Um, <laughs> Double up and Yellstar are not going to get along. It's going to be fine. Um, but then they'll get along and then they'll win Worlds. It's going to be great. It's going to be North America at Worlds. It'll be it'll be wonderful. Um, but no, it, it, that's not happening. But uh, <laughs> that, that prediction is in jest, <laughs> listeners. That prediction is in jest. Uh, <laughs> repeat, repeat. TSM is not winning Worlds. TSM is not they, winning they, Worlds. They, they might make it to but semifinals. They might. they might make it to semifinals. Um, but no, it's it's yeah. I think so much of the spotlight is on TSM that I think Immortals is going to have time to figure out their their roster, figure out what they're doing, uh, and perhaps make a run at it once the end of spring slash summer comes along. All right, Taylor Cock, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. The European LCS season starts on Thursday, January 14th, while North America kicks off this weekend. You can find schedules and more at lollysports.com. Uh, but now it's a new year full of new reasons to be sad about StarCraft. Uh, some crazy news broke in Korea on Monday that has some fairly significant ramifications for the entire scene. Uh, Sabinu, a shoe company which emerged last year as a major new sponsor of StarCraft players and events, is apparently in dire financial difficulties stemming from the alleged malfeasance on the part of uh, of its CEO, Huang Hyojin. Uh, Mr. Huang is apparently now being sought by Korean authorities. Rob, what the hell is going on here? Wait, I like how you seem to be holding me pretty personally responsible for this <laughs> i kind of am a little bit you, you you're the guy who's been on the sabinu bandwagon since they picked up your your boyfriend dong regu so i think you do share some of the blame for whatever that company has been up to um, but, but but seriously like this seems to go beyond the usual esports story of like whoops we ran out of money and can't pay anyone that happens all the time but like what happened in this case this one sounds like it's way worse well you know the funny thing is actually that's exactly the kind of story we're dealing with here uh you know but the difference is you know if you do that on a small scale you're just a lousy businessman right but if you do it on Mm -hmm. a big enough scale and you string enough people along (laughs) you turn into a con man 
Uh, so this is a confusing story, and I'm working off a bunch of different translations on TeamLiquid.net. It's it's a front page right. uh, forum thread. Uh, a lot of people are following this because Spinu is a, a big deal in the scene. Uh, but the way it sounds is uh, it sounds like Spinu was really running on a lot of promises and perception of value. Uh, this all seems to have actually blown up because uh, Sabinu had uh, two types of business partners who are very angry right now. First, uh, they're a shoe company, but they contract with shoe manufacturers, and those manufacturers themselves have apparently not been getting paid for the orders they filled uh, for Sabinu. Uh, so those guys are on the brink of ruin. And the other half of this equation is that Sabinu runs a series of franchise stores. Uh and which is to say, they're not really, it doesn't sound like they're actually run by Spinu. Uh, they're franchises, uh, which are run by other people under the Spinu brand. And mm. I guess they were supposed to make a, uh, make Spinu a sort of premium boutique brand. Uh, but, but all sure. those franchise stores are basically dead in the water, is, is what I can gather. And one of the reasons for that, apparently, is because Spinu also operates its own series of outlet stores that directly sell the exact same footwear for half the price. <laughs> So Spino is really moving all of its inventory out through its own outlet stores at a substantial discount against the Sabino stores, the stores they franchise. Uh, which actually seems seems like kind of a trend for this company, where the sort of their profit margin is other people's loss margin. Uh, because one of the right. other things that that uh, has sort of been uh, intimated in, in this uh, Team Liquid thread uh, is that it, it sounds like. It sounds like Spinu may have also used uh, a third party to acquire the shoes from the manufacturers uh, for for kind of a, for for a song really uh, after the mm-hmm. manufacturers were left with these massive orders that nobody was paying for. Uh, so right, right. it sort of sounds like uh, you know on Monday Spinu shows up uh, as Spinu and you know places this massive order on credit. And on Friday, they never show up to pay, but a suspiciously similar-looking guy shows up in a different suit from a different company uh, and says, well, you know, you got these shoes anyway. Why don't give them to me for a tenth of what they're worth? And it sounds like that's kind of how Spinu's been operating. Uh, right. The business equivalent of wearing a fake mustache. Yeah, and that's that's some, seri- that's some serious stuff. I, I actually don't know if that's true, but it's, it's kind of amazing if it is. You have to admire the kutzpah. Uh, but... <laughs> but where esports comes into this, obviously, is, is that Spinu is suddenly looking really shaky as a sponsor. And the funny thing is, it kind of sounds like none of this could have worked if Spinu hadn't looked like such a solid company. Uh, people were willing to extend Spinu this this amount of investment and credit, in part because the company was on this this huge uh, <laughs> on this huge like FanDuel esque uh, marketing blitz, uh, right. which their esports initiatives were were definitely a part of. Uh, I mean, Spino even had like a deal with Manchester United, uh, so they looked like they were for real. So a lot of people ended up uh, going along for the ride. Yeah, it's a it's a really spooky thing for StarCraft right now. Um, because, you know, we've talked many times about the fact that, um, like, specifically StarCraft Pro League already barely has enough teams to make Pro League work the way that it does. You know, you need eight teams for the, for the, for the system to work the way it does. And you, you already have Team Prime, who, which you've described as team like warm bodies. I think, well, just, I think which they're just show gone up to year. lose. I, I, think, I think they're gone. So, I mean, yeah. So, and, and anyway, so at any rate, now you have 
Team Sabino it seems to be under some kind of threat right now where if this company that supports them entirely financially goes into it goes into some kind of bankruptcy or or other financial trouble and has to slim back, you know, the first thing that's going to get cut is their sponsorship of an esports team. You know, that, that marketing is the first thing to get cut when it comes to a company in trouble. And that does not bode well for some of the really great players they have on their team right now. They have, you know, I'm looking at it right now, they have Bomber, uh, one of the greatest players of the last three years, Curious, and uh, they don't have DRG anymore. But they no, do I have, think they do. They have, I, I was looking at the... It's confusing. It says they, they have a player called DRG Ling. I think that's just a, I think maybe he changed his name, but I think that's, I think that's still, that's still DRG. I think it's not. His name's Lee Wan Ju. Oh, really? That's not. not that's not Dong Rego. Okay. No. No. Okay. Then never mind. I am completely never wrong. Mind. So, yeah. so, so but, okay. So my boy might be safe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, actually, we can just cut this whole segment. That was the important thing. I mean, but they are supporting Leenock. You know, and and if Leenock falls, so falls Starcraft. So yeah. you know, that's that's how that goes. Uh, I'm joking. Leenock has not been relevant in a very long time. But it, it, it's it's very spooky right now to see StarCraft already in a bit of a precarious situation and then see one of its pillar teams kind of look a little shaky very suddenly. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say is, like, even last year there were sort of stories that Spino was putting its name on a lot of things, but maybe wasn't as putting putting as much money as you might think uh, into the scene. You know, the, the Spino team was, was basically StarTail, uh, yeah. and they were on their last legs. And by all accounts, like, nobody really got raises after Spino showed up. They were still a mm-hmm. pretty poorly paid StarCraft team. Uh, they just had this impressive brand uh, sort of appended to it. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it, there's a good chance, unfortunately, I, I want to say just before they got acquired or, or or sort of bought the before Spino bought the naming rights wasn't Startail the team wandering around in the uh we need a sponsor t-shirts at uh at events <laughs> i i don't remember that but that sounds about right it, it sounds right for esports uh, it sounds, sounds right for Startail, who have, i've heard many stories of Startail being like a pretty destitute organization oh, but, but such a good destitute organization uh so i mean you know hopefully hopefully they can they can find they they can make some kind of soft landing uh but but it definitely yeah it it definitely bodes ill because at this point it it sort of seems like we're running out of uh good credible people to to sponsor (laughs) uh major esports organizations in league of legends and boy does this make uh riots push to cut major team major sponsors down to one team apiece boy does that make that decision look good uh, cause you know, thank God all those players are <laughs> got a chance to work for Spino. Uh, you know, but, 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 you know, we don't want to look at the negative too much of what's going on in Starcraft right now, because there is some good news. There's some stuff to be happy about. Uh, Star League has begun and we've already had, you know, our first surprises of 2016. So first thing first, we had innovation. One of the best players of the last two years was knocked out by a player named Ragnarok, which just... Who? What? Who is Ragnarok? I don't. I, I, I. This is this is a guy who, like, in his best moments, has been like a B tier player from from Korea, and now he shows up in Legacy of the Void and dethrones probably the single best player of the last couple of years uh, in innovation. But the, even that wasn't like the real shock of of the week here. We also had uh, Beyond defeating Sue, and it sucks. But again, we're going to have another segment on the show that is about Sue losing. We don't try to do this. We are not trying to sink Sue, Sue's Sue career. also doesn't try to do this, by the way. Like, Sue is in there <laughs> pitching every week. But yeah, it was it was this incredible, incredible series again that just, you know, Sue, the, the, the ever the showman, 
shows up and puts on a great series, but is, is on the losing end of it. Yeah, and it's just it, it, it's crazy to me because you know Bjorn he, he loses to Bjorn, and that's a name I haven't heard uh, mm. in ages because he actually dropped off the map uh, just as I was getting into StarCraft in in 2012. When I, when I say dropped off the map, uh, it's not like he had a long down period the way a lot of a lot of pros do. Uh, I mean, like I don't think people knew where he was because <laughs> he certainly <laughs> he certainly wasn't playing professionally. Uh, so he, he took a pretty serious hiatus, uh, and I'm not sure what he's been doing, uh, since then, except, you know, apparently, uh, getting good. Yeah. You know, they talked about, uh, this player beyond, uh, the casters were talked, talked a lot about him as though this was a player who everybody knew in legacy of the void. As soon as legacy of the void came around, Bjorn just showed up and went like beast mode on everybody. And for the last couple of months, while, while the Starcraft season has been on kind of hiatus, this is a guy who's just been like you know, Rocky Four style training in online tournaments, just constantly. And it's apparently just winning absolutely everything. And the only thing that people were like kind of wondering about uh, this week when he played Sue on stage at, at Star League was whether or not he would be able to handle the transition from an online uh, an online tournament where you get to play in the comfort of your own home versus a, a, a match in front of a live studio audience. And it did look like a little bit shaky at first. It started to look like there were some very questionable things that kept on happening. But at the end, you came away with this impression that like Bjorn just knows something about this game that nobody else does. Well, he knew something about Sue. And this was the crazy thing to me. And it's it's something sort of amazes me when I see it happen. Because Bjorn kind of figured out that the way Sue all the way all of Sue's builds work is he has a really he has this timing window where he's really vulnerable to a heavy bio push because he doesn't he doesn't build banelings. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's a gap where he, he doesn't have banelings on the field at all. Doesn't even have the capacity to build them. Uh, and if you can hit that timing window, uh, you know, you can have stimmed Marines coming in and there's, there's nothing there, uh, to, to really stop them. And that was kind of exposed in, in game one, but it was like, Sue was kind of incapable of, of, of closing that door, which is always mm-hmm. kind of amazing, amazing to me when I see it happen. Cause the problem is clear. But for some reason, maybe it's just the way pros kind of structure their, you know, all their builds, uh, you know, all of it's so uh, all of it's so carefully calibrated that maybe he just didn't know that window was quite there. Uh, But it was was weird to me to see him sort of unable to to make that adaptation uh, on the fly. But it almost didn't matter because, as you you know, as you say, uh, Bjorn was far from flawless. Uh, You know, he, he got a very clean win off Sue and it looked like it was going to be a really early knockout. But then Bjorn does something that, you know, you see a lot. Uh, he goes for that. You know, he lands one good punch. And then immediately he's like, I just need to finish this game now. I can do it. Uh, and he kind of, you know, he, he kind of lets Sue back into the series because uh, he kept jumping the gun. So it's really interesting, though. And I, and I always I always try to catch myself when I when I when I find myself questioning the strategy of somebody who just won a match. Uh, because it, it felt like Bjorn just didn't care about the stuff. So the, to kind of back up, the, what we're kind of alluding to here is that Bjorn would get these uh, these nice little wins, these little these little uh, advantages against Sue, and then he would immediately charge in and try to and try to end the game and throw away his entire army and end up overextending and and get kind of knocked back to zero. But the thing is, the interesting thing is, he won with that strategy. Yeah. And it, and it makes me wonder if this is a thing about Legacy of the Void where there's just a subtle change in how in how Terran throws away its army 
that you can do that. You can keep doing that. You can, as long as you're forcing the Zerg to continue building units and not letting them do what they want to do, it doesn't really matter if that small army gets, gets shut down because you can create another small army so quickly and just keep on, instead of like marching across the map with this one massive army, I feel like Bjorn has discovered right now that this, uh, this approach of using these small to mid-sized Terran armies to just perpetually push against the to keep pounding on the front door this actually works really really well which is a subtle change because it used to be with Terran that you you didn't have multiple small armies you had one big organism constantly marching across the map they called it the parade push where your push would never end you would you would keep up these like 10 minute long sieges until the enemy eventually just folded and you were able to take out some critical infrastructure but beyond has this like really interesting new kind of strategy that i think might actually be working for yeah it's like a flurry of little punches uh yeah yeah and, yeah. Yeah. and, and that it was funny because like to me it looked like he had lost game two uh, that's how it looked to me several sure. times. Cause I was like, okay, if the, if the Terran lets this happen, it's over. Like he's lost too much. He, he can't get back into it. Uh, but he did, he, he went on to, he went on to, went on to close that series out, uh, you know, in the, in the second game, which, uh, you know, which is not stuff on, not something I'm used to seeing in, in those situations. So it's, it's really interesting. It's a really exciting start for, uh, for, for legacy, right? Because sort of the conventional wisdom now, at least seems a little bit like it's out the window. Yeah, and I think I think this is going to get remedied, you know, after a couple of months. Like this is kind of seems like the way that things go in StarCraft Two is that uh, right after a new game comes out, whether it's Wings of Liberty, uh, Heart of the Swarm, or Legacy of the Void, Terrans seem to have the advantage. They have so many different tools and unique things they can do at their disposal that it takes the other races a little bit of time to catch up and figure out how to counter that insane aggression. Uh, Zerg in particular is, is such a delicate race, and you have to you have to manage the economics so perfectly uh, that it takes some time for these for these brilliant players like like life uh to be or even uh looking back a little bit to soul key it takes them a little bit of time to figure out the exact precise counter to these really really aggressive terran pushes and i think that the over time it'll start to regulate but yeah uh so that that is starcraft right now and we're going to take uh we're going to be keeping an eye on that as it goes forward that's all the news we have from esports today now let's talk a little bit about what's going on in esports tomorrow uh, so the New Year's is just beginning to ramp up, so there aren't really that many huge events going on right now, although we do have uh, the qualifiers for Dota 2's uh, Shanghai Major going on, uh, even though the main event won't be until March. Uh, so we don't have a ton of time to dig into the Shanghai qualifiers, uh, but I do want to highlight a few of the teams that I'm really excited to see as we move forward uh, into the Shanghai Major when it gets, starts to ramp up in March. You know, first of all, coming out of the America's bracket, we have Team Archon. Uh, which Rob, I I know that name right there won't mean that much to you until I tell you who their captain is. It's Fluff and Stuff. He's back. Oh man, Fluff that's and so, Stuff is gonna that win. Is so exciting! Like, because you know, that's funny. Because like in 2014, he said that he was pretty much done not being a leader, and he was just going to be a leader. And yeah. then Team Liquid fired him. Uh, so. Well, they gave him a chance, and then and then it, it failed pretty miserably, and then they fired him. Right. Uh, so it's it's exciting to see that his 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 pivot to leadership is uh, finally paying off. Uh, yeah. But in all seriousness, what like what are we looking at here? 
Uh, not, not much. I don't think it, I don't think Team Archon has too much of a chance to make a dent here. It's going to be kind of the typical North America story where if they, if they make the top eight, everybody's going to lose their mind and it's going to be great and we'll have a great time watching them and we'll cheer for them. Uh, but nobody really thinks that they have a chance to, to come away with this championship. And, you know, all, all jokes aside about Team Archon, uh, we also in the, uh, coming through the qualifier black bracket, we do have appropriately enough as we're talking about Fluff and Stuff and Team Liquid, we have the new reborn Team Liquid emerging from the, the European qualifier. Uh, in pretty dominant fashion too. I think they only dropped two games the entire uh, the entire qualifier. I think they were something like ten and two, which is really really strong. Uh, and so this new Team Liquid roster has got veterans like Fata and Kuroki. Uh, they seem like pretty formidable right now. And frankly, it's just nice to see like a solid team. Uh, you know, wearing the white and blue of Team Liquid, especially in Dota. It's really really nice to see. And then over in the China qualifiers, it was por- it was powerhouses uh, LGD and New B managing to get in, uh, which you know a couple years ago you never would have expected to see either of those teams trying to get into a major through the qualifier bracket. They've been so dominant in the past. Uh, and then in Southeast Asia, we also have Fnatic's solid Malaysian team, as well as South Korea's MVP Phoenix, uh, which became something of a fan favorite squad at the international uh, this summer after their very improbable run. Really, really won over the crowd at uh, at, at that tournament. Uh, all of this is kind of just to say that it's going to be a really fun tournament that I'm really looking forward to, and I'm just I'm just so excited by looking at the guest list right now, you know. Uh, but that'll do it for this show, first show of 2016. Until next week, if you have any esports questions, you can shoot them over to us at questions at esports.today. Otherwise, if you have a few moments, we'd really appreciate it if you stopped by iTunes and gave us a review, as it really helps out the show. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off. Goes on the run from potential fraud charges. We'll also be taking a little bit of uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be good, taking good a little thing. bit of a shit. <laughs> just a small one. <laughs> it just it just popped out. Sorry. Just yeah. one turd. No, 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 no. It's totally fine. Um, we, can, we can just keep rolling. Just keep rolling. This is fine. <laughs> All right. No, it's fine. I, I, I think clean cut. It's cool. He'll cut. Yeah, he'll cut. He'll yeah. do my part, and then you start your. your-